not not real what we are seeing here we see a trend now we we have reached the tipping point we see more insolvencies coming in um, in the last two weeks i've seen more than 15 medium-sized insolvencies Hello everyone, welcome to Trade Talk by Kofas, the podcast designed to help your business trade with confidence. Over the next episode, we will discuss various facets of the economic recovery along with the associated challenges. Our goal with this series is to provide information that is useful for you and your company. And for the first episode, we're zeroing in on international trade. Obviously, global trade suffered during the COVID-19 pandemic, but Is it now getting back on track? On the one hand, demand is picking up, that's right. But on the other hand, supply chain disruptions are far from being resolved. So the health crisis and the threat of trade wars have also changed the landscape. With this in mind, our question today is, what is the state of international trade today? And what step can businesses take to adapt to this disrupted international context? I am Ingrid Labuzon, journalist, and to help us answering those questions, we have two expert guests. We are delighted to welcome today Isabelle Mejean, economist, and Jochen Baum, COFAS Risk Underwriting Director. Isabelle, Jochen, thank you very much for joining us. It's a real pleasure to have you today with us. And um, to start, maybe could you both tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, my name is Isabelle Mejean. I'm a professor of economics at Science Po University, and my research focuses international trade. Yeah, my name is Jochen Böhm. I work in Mainz in Germany with COFAS, uh, and I'm the regional risk underwriting director for the Northern European region. Thank you. So, Isabelle, we're going to start with you, and your area of expertise is international trade. Um, With the economic recovery underway, can we say that international trade is also getting back on track? Yes, global GDP and global trade are picking up after a severe contraction. The economic recovery has been relatively quick, but also rather mixed, with performances varying depending on the extent to which countries have got the health crisis under control. In general, global demand has taken off again quite strongly, but international trade above all has seen a particularly sharp recovery. Managing the health crisis required products that are widely traded on international markets. Despite the problems affecting international logistics, global trade was able to recover quite quickly. This is quite different from what we have seen in the past, particularly during the 2008 crisis, when there was a very sharp contraction in trade, much greater than the contraction in world GDP, and a much slower recovery than during the coronavirus crisis. So you say that international trade has seen a sharp recovery, but um, it seems like something of a, of a paradox because uh, there is also persistent points of frictions, um, notably significant supply disruptions. So should we be worried about this? It's true that a distinctive feature of this recovery is how it has shone a spotlight on numerous supply challenges in international value chains. Clearly, these issues have not prevented the overall volume of global trade from increasing quite quickly. But they remain a source of worry, 
Given how areas of concern have proliferated in various fairly specific points within international value chains since late 2020. So could you give us some examples? There has been a lot of discussion about semiconductor shortages, which have undermined the recoveries of several sectors, including electronics and the automotive industry. And then we have also seen problems with longer delivery times and shortages of certain raw materials, such as wood, plastic and steel. Mostly, importantly, I think this situation highlights something that is pretty well identified in the literature on international trade. The fact that modern international trade is heavily reliant on value chains. The production structure is both very fragmented geographically and very concentrated in a handful of companies. To give you an idea, we estimate that today 50% of international trade takes place within value chains. These chains, though, are inherently fragile and not particularly resilient to shocks, because the very nature of these exchanges means that participating companies are dependent on each other. In this type of structure, a slowdown in production at any point in the chain will reverberate right along that chain. We can clearly see how this has played out with semiconductors. Globally, semiconductor manufacturing is highly concentrated, with just a few producers worldwide, most of them based in Taiwan. These manufacturers are struggling to keep up with demand for semiconductors, resulting in shortages that are going to hinder the recoveries of several key sectors. In the auto sector especially, vehicle production is set to slow, affecting equipment manufacturers throughout the value chain. Jochen, with you, I would like to focus maybe more on European businesses and what are, according to you, the main challenges that they face today? Yeah, so, you know, I mean, the companies have uh, experienced the crisis in, in very, very different ways. Some of them entered the crisis in a very, very strong situation. So they are now recovering and they are gaining strength. Others, they already had problems before the crisis, which have been accelerated now. So they are finding it more and more difficult uh, at the moment to recover. And what we now see, of course, is uh, a very, very uh, um, heavy challenge regarding the shortage of material and the price increases especially the price increases in the energy sector. So to, just to give you a few examples, um, you know, in, especially in our country, but not only in Germany, but also in France, Italy and so on, automotive plays an important role. So some very, very big car producers have announced that they have reduced production. They have curbed reduction, uh, production, which means, of course, that there will be less orders for the suppliers industry. Another 
um, interesting example is the steel sector, for instance, a sector which has had a lot of structural problems already, but now they are gaining actually strength because uh, prices are, are, are rising, which is nice for the steel traders. But I talked to a steel trader yesterday and he was complaining a lot because he cannot deliver. He doesn't get the material he needs to satisfy his, his, his customers. And another issue I can, I can uh, give you, for instance, is the huge, huge increase in, in transportation costs. Um, we have disrupted uh, um, supply chains, trans transportation chains. Uh, um, so um, um, there is a lack of containers in, in the world economy. And I can give you one example of a, uh, a customer of, 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 of ours that, that is now sending empty containers from Hamburg to Asia. So it's an absurd situation we see and this is really a big challenge for lots of companies and lots of trade sectors. So given this this very special situation it seems like assessing the different risks is really important for companies right now. So are those companies really aware of all the risks in the market at the moment? I think, again, um, we, we have to look at individual companies. Some are very, very alert. Some are very, very um, experienced, very prudent. I mean, during the crisis, we have seen lots of companies steering you know, in a, in a very diligent way. So they did not do uh, big plannings ahead, but they really steered, um, let's say, three or four months ahead of their, their, their business planning. Um, so they are taking all these challenges into consideration. But of course, you always will find companies which are a little bit sleepy. Um, they have not reacted during the crisis because, you know, crisis is always an opportunity for companies to, to, to change and to adjust and to get stronger. But uh, we still see a lot of companies not doing doing anything, um, especially those companies which have been in structural uh, problems. Um, for them, it's definitely too late and they will definitely face a lot of problems. Isabel, I'd like to, to come back on what you said, because you mentioned before that value chains are often highly um, geographically fragmented. And that obviously raises a lot of questions um, regarding transportation and regarding freight, of course. So here again, we are seeing persistent tensions. What does this mean for businesses, for companies? And um, do you think that these freight-related issues are going to translate into higher prices, maybe? Yes, the COVID crisis has also made us aware that international freight is another somewhat fragile sector. Why is this the case? Well, it reflects the fact that the sector has gone to great lengths to optimize costs by organizing itself on a just-in-time basis. Obviously, this efficiency is great in normal times and brings down the cost of international freight considerably. But in a situation where global demand and trade have been disrupted, it has caused major shortage-related problems. The effect of all this is that freight is being held up. Many products are waiting to be shipped, which is an issue that does not normally occur. Critically, freight prices have exploded, with the result that some flows are no longer profitable. All of this has cost implications that are not yet especially visible. There are some signs of inflationary pressure, primarily in the United States, but clearly if the situation continues, as looks likely, there are significant inflationary risks. 
There is another challenge ahead and, and maybe another reason for all this pressure. And I'm thinking, of course, about the effects of environmental policies. There are a lot of new political uh, measures coming up in Europe, and they are going to have major consequences for businesses. So maybe could you give us a little bit more explanation on them? Ahead lies the ecological transition, which is poised to have major global consequences. The European Commission has unveiled its Green Deal program, setting environmental targets in the European Union, EU, for the coming years. This proactive program aims to expand the European emissions trading system, which for the time being is limited to a relatively small number of the most polluting sectors. The Commission is keen to expand the scheme to other sectors, including transportation sectors. At the same time, it intends to supplement the scheme, which covers European producers only, with a carbon adjustment mechanism at the borders, which would ultimately pave the way to extend carbon taxes to products that are imported from non-EU countries. Well, then it, it's easy to imagine that uh, this is going to have a, a, an impact on the way we produce, maybe also on the way we consume in Europe, right? The program is fairly proactive, coherent, and has very ambitious objectives for reducing CO2 emissions. It will naturally have very significant consequences because the role of emission allowances is to ensure that the prices of consumer goods that we purchase reflect the CO2 content involved in producing these goods. This means that the prices of the most polluting products will increase significantly, with the consequences that this may have for consumers, purchasing power, and so on. The most the most important factor, and the one that we're still waiting for details on, is the border carbon adjustment. This mechanism aims to create a level playing field for European and non-European producers in terms of carbon taxation. I said earlier that we currently produce lots of manufactured goods with productive structures that are highly geographically fragmented, often across Europe. In Europe, we produce extensively using European value chains. These chains are heavily reliant on logistics and so could potentially be severely affected by an increase in logistics costs due to transport-related carbon emissions. Jochen, you mentioned a higher risk of insolvencies, and of course I'm a bit surprised because the situations seemed pretty much under control. I mean, everybody was fearing a big wave of insolvencies, but so far that hasn't happened. So is it still a possibility? That's a very important question, and I've, I'm being asked a lot by my policyholders here. Um, this is really what we call a 
paradoxon, right? I mean, when the crisis started, we were really afraid in our in our in our industry that we will be swallowed by a huge wave of insolvencies. I mean, we had very very negative forecasts, and in the wake of this negative economic development, of course, we would see a lot of insolvencies, but we haven't. The stats for Germany predict 15,000 insolvencies for this year, which is a historic low, and that in a, in a crisis which is probably the, the, the biggest after the, the, the Second World War. So it's really uh, not, not real what we are seeing here. But, and I think this is a very important but, we see a trend now. We, we have reached the tipping point. We see more insolvencies coming in. Um, in the last two weeks, I've seen more than 15 medium-sized insolvencies. Um, and, and this is definitely now a signal that um, the, the, the tide is turning. And how are the banks reacting to this? So, I mean, we are in close uh, cooperation with the banks, of course, especially in those cases where we have um, restructuring cases on our desk. So medium and large companies which uh, have trouble and are struggling. So we all join together and uh, try, of course, to, to stabilize that those companies. What we see is that banks are becoming more and more prudent now. Um, of course, they have a lot of uh, uh, loans and, and credits uh, at risk, and they have to look at it very, very carefully. So um, um, we, 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 I'm not saying that we are facing a credit crunch yet, but I think banks will be very careful in uh, providing sufficient credits for those companies who are really in a, in a, in a difficult situation. Do you think inflation is a, is a risk as well? Absolutely. You know, especially in our country, we are really afraid of, of inflation. Um, it's really a, a growing concern, not only amongst consumers, but also amongst uh, business people. Uh, I think this will definitely create a conflict within the European Union um, regarding the um, future um, um, uh, politics, regarding how to, where, in which direction will, will um, Europe steer. Um, um, and and in in my in my conversations with my policyholders, they of course they have to 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 put it into their calculation. Um, so this is definitely something which, together with the other issues I mentioned, the rising uh, prices, rising costs, shortage of material, um, what we did not mention yet is the lack of skilled people and so on. So the whole cocktail is is getting really challenging. So inflation definitely is an issue here. Isabel, I guess that you don't like making predictions, but I have one last question for you. Um, can we expect geopolitical tensions to ease? And I'm thinking, of course, of, about US and China relations. They were extremely tense before the COVID crisis. Is the situation likely to calm down now? What is true is that, from an international trade perspective, geopolitical tensions are a critical consideration because the investments that underpin international trade are made over fairly long time periods. We're living in a time of great uncertainty. Before the COVID crisis, there was a huge escalation in geopolitical tensions as the benefits of globalization were widely challenged. 
both in Europe and the United States. Existing models had to be reconsidered amid questions about globalization's benefits and how to share its gains. Geopolitical and geostrategic relations were strained, in part by tensions between the United States and Europe, on the one hand, and China on the other, which also revealed the limitations of a multilateral approach to the organization of international trade. But then can we still talk about a trade war? Is it still, you know, uh, on the table and something that should be taken into account? Trump showed that a trade war was a probable or possible option. The Biden administration is obviously less extreme than the Trump administration, but in terms of relations with China, the situation has not reversed entirely relative to what we saw under Trump. Ultimately, geopolitical tensions between countries say the United States and Europe, and then the Asian bloc, remain a source of real concern that will affect geopolitical relations, but also international trade relations in the future. Many thanks to you, Isabelle Méjean, for taking on the tricky task of analyzing the current situations while also looking ahead to what is coming next. Merci beaucoup et à bientôt. Thank you. Jochen, to conclude facing this challenging environment, um, would you have maybe any advice for the, for the companies? Yeah, I think, you know, the um, risk of change is, is very prominent, but uh, not everybody sees it. Yeah, so what we would recommend definitely is to be very, very alert, very agile, uh, really to look behind your, your, your individual situation. It's very, very important to know your customer. Um, I, I, I keep meeting uh, companies saying, well, we have a very stable customer base. We know our customers. Uh, we do not have to investigate more. I think that is um, a wrong behavior because, as I said before, there's a huge change of risk and you have to monitor your customers very, very diligently. Um, I think the other issue is, um, as you just mentioned, we still do not see a huge number of insolvencies, but there are a lot of hidden risks everywhere. It's this uh, toxic cocktail I was trying to describe. So um, the hidden risk is omnipresent. So be, be careful, look behind the scenes. And of course, I mean, the third um, uh, piece of advice I would give is uh, try to get um, insurance, try to get collateral, try to make your supplies and, and, and delivery safe in order not to be um, 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 surprised in case that there's a huge insolvency, which in the end will come. We, are, we, we have to calculate that this uh, figure will, will rise in the future. Thank you very much, Johan, for all your explanations. You're welcome. Many thanks to our two guests for sharing their insights. And if you're interested in deeper analysis of specific countries or sectors, visit the COFAS website, www.cofas.com, where you can browse country and sector assessments. In the next episode, we'll tackle an issue that all businesses face, financing and its vital role in growth and in meeting market expectations. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss the next trade talk. Join us again soon.